0: Please take your bibles and turn to Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. If you're visiting with us, the black bible in the chair in front of you. Underneath that, pull that out and go to the back. Excuse me, and find page 18. They renumber the New Testament, so find the New Testament Matthew's gospel page 18, Matthew chapter 22. The parable of the marriage feast, Matthew chapter 22. We'll do these first 14 verses this morning. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Let me read. And answering, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to man, A king who made a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, look, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But paying no attention, they went their own way. One to his own field, another to his business. And the rest, seizing his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged. And sending his armies, he destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Verse 8 And then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go. The main highways. And as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves going out into the streets, they gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But entering in, the king looked over his guests. He saw a man not dressed in wedding clothes. Verse 12 And he said to him, Friend, how did you enter without wedding clothes? And he was silent. Verse 13, Then the king said to the servants, Binding him foot in hand, Throw him into the farthest darkness there, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few chosen. The average member of the United States Navy's SEAL Air Land Team, SEALs, spends over a year in a series of formal training environments. All Navy SEALs must attend and graduate from their ratings 24-week A school known as Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL school, a basic parachutist course, and the 26-week SEAL qualification training program. In the fourth week of one twenty four week training program in one class, thirty two out of the one hundred and twenty remained, so under twenty seven percent stayed, so over seventy three percent dropped out. This fourth week they call it Hell week." five and a half days of continual around the clock training with a maximum of four hours of sleep the tests include time runs on the beach in combat boots ocean swims up to two miles running time obstacle courses countless sit ups and push ups small boat seamanship and live fire exercises I found this fascinating too um since December of 2015, women have been eligible to enter to become a Navy SEAL, but, but they would undergo the same training as men. And since December of 2015, as of November 2018, one woman entered into the program, but she dropped out, I think, the third or fourth week into the program. So anyone can volunteer. An enlistment soldier can volunteer for this. Anyone. but few are chosen. Which links us with our text. Many are called. Few are chosen. It's hard to believe the gospel, which is where we come to this part and bow down and worship Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. When Matthew's driving theme for his gospel is this Call to people you understand we come to understand that the call many are called to this but few are chosen many are called few are chosen right there from verse 14 we'll look at it more in depth later statement for you Many are called, few are chosen. Many people are welcome to respond to the gospel message and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but reality is only a few will truly respond to this welcome. Most willfully reject God's grace, yet God always has a remnant. Here we see the great doctrine of election. God elects people. He calls them all, come and yet only few are chosen. Each week we look at two consistent, continual applications. Uh, we talk about how we would respond towards each other in the same grace that God has given toward us. And also that we speak this grace to others. And you'll see this highlighted once again today from our passage Because when we speak this grace to others, we have to realize something. When we give people the gospel, many will not believe it. They will reject it, and we must be okay with that. And at the same time, we need to watch our own lives. Are we staying faithful to the gospel? Christian, have you become cold to the gospel? Have you become hard-hearted to the gospel? Have we become complacent to the gospel truth? Have our hearts grown cold to the message of Jesus? God will make known our true hearts. So let today serve as a reminder An encouragement, but also a warning. Let this serve as a reminder, an encouragement, and a warning. It reminds us that few will trust Jesus. It encourages us that some will trust Jesus and encourages us to keep trusting Jesus, which also warns our own hearts to keep trusting Jesus. Let this encourage you to stay faithful to Christ. Let this be a warning to you as well. God knows our hearts. May His grace overwhelm you. Yes, it's true. It's true. Outsiders will bring troubles into the church, difficulties come from outside. Quite honestly, that's my job. I must protect this church from false teaching from blasphemy. I must do that. That's true. Yes, yes. Outsiders will will bring troubles into the church. But even from among ourselves, we can become careless, lax, and lazy. That's what this passage deals with. We point the finger, and yet we should look in the mirror and point the finger. We should be so amazed at God's grace towards us and, and, and display that same grace to each other. Here we see this third piercing parable from Jesus meant to vividly communicate that God's kingdom was ripped away from these religious leaders. Since they did not live lives obedience to God and his word. Remember last week we looked at how they only had empty promises. They refused to believe John. Which means they refused to believe Jesus. These religious leaders failed to respond to God's welcome call. To right living and true obedience to him. Which is trusting his son Jesus the Messiah. So it begins. Come. Trust. Love believe in Christ. Two main parts of this parable, end in judgment. We'll see that in a moment. As a warning, not just to religious leaders, but also to those who come to the wedding feast. Those within the faith community must focus on staying faithful themselves, not merely on those from the outside. So God invites people to the wedding feast but few are actually chosen to become part of the feast. God calls people to trust in his son, but of the ones welcome, few are chosen to be saved. And that's why we read from uh, 2 Peter chapter one. How do we make our calling, his calling and choosing you by living out the gospel in our daily living, in our daily lives? So notice, let's go through the text now. First point, God's gracious welcoming call Notice verses 1 through 3, and then we'll drop down to verse 4. Answering, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. He compared it to a king who represents God, who invited people to his son's wedding feast. And notice verse 3 he sent out slaves to call those who'd been invited to the wedding feast. Uh, this was kind of the custom of the day to send an invitation in advance. And once everything was ready, then you send messengers to say, okay, now it's ready, now come. Now, this is the time for you to come. So, one cannot only accept the invitation to the feast. You must actually go. doesn't help if you say, yeah, I'll be there, but then you don't show up. You must attend. Makes sense. I mean, it would have, been a ma- would have been a magnificent, awesome banquet. To be invited to such a feast would have been a great honor. People were very happy to receive such an invitation. Look, verse 4, uh, we'll look at how they were unwilling to come, but notice verse 4, again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I, I prepared my dinner, my awesome, my livestock, they're butchered, everything's ready, come to the wedding feast. I prepared my dinner. The meats are all out. Even the sushi. Oh, maybe not sushi. Oh, don't don't you groan at me, blasphemous man. Maybe there was a mistake. Uh, uh, Maybe they didn't hear that all was ready. So it was just gracious for the king to invite these people to the wedding feast, but then he does it twice. God graciously welcomes or calls people to the feast and he's calling you come 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 to the wedding feast come trust jesus god welcomes sinners you must admit you're a sinner you must admit that you need god you must admit that you're desperate and and you're destitute without him You must admit that you deserve his judgment. You must admit and confess that you've sinned against him Have you've been in rebellion against him and yet God welcomes you and says, I know, so come and I will save you and change you. That's God's welcoming call. And yet the reality is, which is what you see from the text, human rejection. Verse three, the end of verse three, and they were unwilling to come. What? They were unwilling. They were dead set against coming to the feast. This is totally unbelievable. This went against the culture. I mean, when Jesus was, was speaking this parable, it would have shocked his hearers. Well, it's shocking to us. How could anyone not come to the wedding of their king's son? Why why, why would anyone not do that? This would be totally unnatural. In real life, no one would refuse such a request. Someone who's honorable, it would be respectful, it would be admirable, it would be worthy, it would be good. It would be like, yeah, I want to go. People would want to do something like that. No doubts that this displayed the religious leaders' Who did not believe God and send his prophets, and who ultimately rejected his son. Th- there was no true glad acceptance of God's ways, which was, is, fully and ultimately displayed in believing his son Jesus. So the slaves, which depicts the prophets, which you'll see that in just a moment, they mistreated them. These people who were, they were invited. They were the religious leaders. They didn't want to come. Notice in verse 5. But pay no attention. They went their own way. One to his own field. Another to his business. Look at what we see here. We see the the arrogant, stubborn, empty, obstinate, defiant people who were graciously invited to a wedding by a mighty king. And brethren, that's what we see even today with people. They will reject the gospel. One guy told me Friday, he's like, you know, the whole heaven and hell stuff, that's both. Oh. oh. Okay. I didn't say anything. Interesting. Not only did they not pay any attention, I'm too busy with everyday life. Oh, I got too much stuff going on. Even more amazing look at verse 6. And the rest, seizing the slaves, mistreated and killed them. They didn't care. They're too busy with their own affairs that shallow excuses and even worse they did not respect love, honor, or fear their king. Instead they seized those slaves mistreated them and killed them. That's exactly what Israel did to the prophets. This depicts the different responses from Israel towards Jesus with their leaders leading the way to rejecting Jesus. Jesus their king one writer says this quote, for a subject to scorn the summons to the royal feast implied disloyalty and rebellion End quote. that's so true Israel by its leaders refused God's call to Jesus destruction would come we'll look at that in a second but know this friends if Israel With all her knowledge of God's word, with all the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the theophanies, and the Christophanies, she saw would overall reject her very own Messiah. What does that tell us about others? I know Jews who are atheists, who are agnostic. I know a Jewish person who's part of Wicca, he's a witch. If Israel is steeped in their hardness, what does that say about others? And I understand, I know. There's a hardness that's come to Israel as a nation. I understand that, I know. You see, this is why we need God to change our hearts. This is why we need God to do a work in our hearts because if Israel's seen all those things and they reject Jesus... Look, when you give someone the gospel, many people are called, but few are chosen. They will reject it. we got to be okay with that. We must trust God to work in people's hearts. He's the one. He does it. We just proclaim. Well, Notice, Jesus goes into the next part here in verse 7. God's righteous, rejecting judgment. Notice, the king was enraged. He sent his armies to destroy these murderers. He burned their city. He showed such amazing mercy and grace to these people, invited them in the first place, and then let alone just calling them twice to come. He was enraged. And it seems like this represents... God's judgment against the temple and the Jerusalem establishment for rejecting his invitation. No doubt, Jerusalem's destruction and the temple's burning is the fulfillment of this parabolic prophecy. That's exactly what happened. God would judge Israel. And he did. But you see here, starting in verse eight, God's gracious welcoming call Again. Look at verse 8. So, the slaves, the wedding's ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. That's the religious leaders. So then the king told the slaves, therefore, go to the main highways. As many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. Go into the streets to invite anyone they could find. The poor, renegades, ragamuffins, the nobodies, these wouldn't refuse an invitation. And the hall was filled with guests, which leads us to the next point, human reception, verse 10. And those slaves going out into the streets, they gathered together all they had found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Both evil and good, they all came in, It was filled with this good and the bad at the feast. It portrayed the mixed responses towards Jesus and the kingdom message. And it's these ones that the religious establishment scoffed at. Uh, Those that the religious establishment considered to be evil and, and unfit for the kingdom, they were the ones who were invited to the feast a definite trademark of Jesus' ministry. He welcomed outcasts. There's not many wise, not many rich, not many great among you, said Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose despised things of this world the nobodies. Some people will receive Christ, some people will repent. And believe because God always has a remnant we just proclaim and we let God do the rest people will receive Christ they will receive Jesus they will trust Christ people you may not expect I mean look at us I hope I'm not hurting your feelings like Stephen Lawson said or, nobody just, we're a bunch of nobodies we're we're, we're we're ragamuffins, we're ruffians—we are nothing special about us. But there's something special about our God that He decided to choose us and show us His grace and mercy. Great way to end the parable, right? I mean, right here, verse 10. Actually, Luke's gospel does do that. Not so with Jesus, though. Matthew wanted to throw in. Throwing a monkey wrench. As a way to point out a major principle taught by Jesus, Matthew gave the rest of the parable on purpose. Because here you see the next main point, human deception. Verse 11 and 12 notice. The king, he's entering in. He's gonna greet his guests, observing all who were there. And while he's doing this, he, he saw a man not dressed in wedding clothes. Hmm. He wasn't uh, with proper wedding attire. He didn't have his flower shirt on. Hmm. Don't nod your head at me. Shame on you. Somehow, in, in, in some way... Appropriate attire was made available, but this man didn't act on it. Uh Uh-oh, that's right. Because the king comes up, he said, friend, an appeal. Verse 12, how how, how did you enter without wedding clothes? Why was he not wearing the proper wedding attire? Maybe he was wearing dirty clothes. Some say that uh, the king was the one who provided the clothing, but evidence for that is pretty weak. So how was this made available? Who made this available? Why didn't he act on it? I don't know. I I, I don't have any answers for you. We we, we are unsure. But it truly was insulting to the king. Was it not? It was. And notice the man could not explain it. It says the end of verse 12, and he was speechless. He was silent. So the inference from the passage is this. The appropriate attire was made available, but he declined to wear it. He didn't take action. In other words, he was a hypocrite. He didn't belong. It was just mere outward profession, but not true confession. That's why we titled this, in verse 11, 12, human deception. Well, notice God's righteous, rejecting judgment. Once again, verse 13, the king said to the servants, binding him foot and hand, throw him into the farthest darkness. He was severely punished for coming to the feast inappropriately. Um, He obviously did not belong. Though he was invited he did not respond positively to being there. Which is why Jesus gives now the principle behind everything that he just said. For, verse 14, for the reason why it's there. For, what, what, what's the principle behind everything that's happened? For, many are called, but few chosen. Okay, so let's let's unpack this again and go a little bit farther. The principle many are called, few are chosen. The leaders of the religious establishment had rejected Jesus and his kingdom. So they would be severely punished. Yet outcasts, society's dregs, did repent and entered the kingdom. Okay, so we got that part right. We we get that. That's verses one through ten. We understand that. Jesus was talking about that. We get that. With the religious establishment, their judge, the society's drugs, they come in, they come to the wedding feast. Okay. But here in verses 11 through 13, it takes a different twist. From those who seemingly responded positively to the kingdom message, not all are truly obedient to the invitation. Some seem to respond, but in reality, they're nothing but a sham. It speaks to those who come into the kingdom, but are only hypocrites. So they come, they seem to obediently respond, but in reality, they're actually just like the religious leaders, they're nothing but a sham. You just have the outward profession, outward profession, not a true confession. You might say, wait, well, come on. That's kind of that's kind of far fetched. I mean, how do we see a reality of this in the New Testament? How do we see reality of this even with Jesus? I mean, did Jesus actually experience something like this? Oh yeah, of course he did. Remember Judas Iscariot? Judas actually healed. You know that, right? Judas actually proclaimed the gospel. You know that, right? And yet it was Judas... Jesus calls the son of perdition remember he outwardly responded but it wasn't true see this is why it serves as a warning to us a warning in a bad way but also in a good way for us to remain faithful to the gospel see the gospel is open to all but Jesus demands total submission. It's a privilege to be saved by grace, so friend, take it seriously. We should beware of holding loosely, of holding this great salvation flippantly. This parable, God, the king, sent his servants, the prophets, to invite the subject, Israel, for his leaders, they reject it. Killed the prophets. He sends his army. He destroys their city, Jerusalem. Others are invited the disciples, other Jews, Gentiles even. But an invited guest was without a wedding garment, so a hypocrite. So he was severely punished. His garment showed he truly did not belong, he was a sham. The king graciously and generously invited all to his feast, but to hear of the call is not the same as responding to the call. Not all those called are chosen. God calls people to come, but only his own will hear his voice. In Jewish teaching it says in one book, quote, all Israelites have a share in the world to come. End quote. No, it's not a true statement. Only those who obey the Lord Jesus, only those who obediently respond to the call, display that she or he has chosen. So, this is the main point of the parable God always has a remnant who will truly respond to his call. Trouble comes not just from the outside but even from within the faith community of Christians. Paul says this to the elders in Ephesus. Do you remember? In Acts chapter 20, he meets the elders of Ephesus and he says, even from among yourselves, deceivers will rise up. Which is quite interesting that in the book of Revelation, one of the churches that Jesus spoke to was the church of Ephesus. And one of the things that they lost sight of was their first love. May we not be complacent in our hearts, becoming prideful and arrogant over God's grace toward us, forgiving that it truly is a privilege and is necessary for us to love and obey Jesus, our Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. Have we become complacent to the gospel? Have our hearts grown cold to the message of Jesus? Because even from among ourselves, we can just become careless, lax, lazy. May this remind you to relish in grace to relish in Jesus. Many people are welcome to respond to the gospel message and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but reality is only a few will truly respond to this welcome. Okay. We understand that. We get that. But let this service as a reminder, as an encouragement, and a warning. It reminds us that few will trust Jesus. And encourage us that some will trust Jesus, and it warns our own hearts to keep trusting Jesus, to keep loving Jesus. That should encourage us as well. May you be encouraged. And the songs that we have set up, there's three actually that we're going to sing. I, I I thought of those and chose those on purpose. Lord, I give you my heart. Come, thou fount of every blessing, and then may we never cease to praise you. It's a purpose. So, we are thinking through this. So, it's encouraging you as you're hearing each other sing. May we stay faithful to Christ and the gospel as a church. May we encourage each other to do that, and your job is to encourage me to do that too. Father, thank you. We are overwhelmed and astonished that you have shown us such amazing grace. We are unworthy. And yet, thank you, Father, by your Spirit, you went out into the highways and byways and you found losers like me. To call us to respond, regenerated our hearts, it brought the fruits of repentance and faith. Oh Father, we pray by your spirit. Help us as your people to remain faithful to this gospel. Help us to encourage each other. To display the same grace to each other. To speak this and proclaim this gospel message to those that we come in contact with. And to show that same grace and mercy to each other. And to encourage each other to stay faithful to Christ. Oh help us we pray. if you would, as we do each Sunday. I'll take these few moments of silence where you can think and ponder to fill your mind with gospel truth, to relish in the gospel message. And after a few moments, we'll do our time of giving, a way to express your worship, another way to express your worship to sing and we'll pray and we'll converse with each other and pray that we have gospel words let these few moments between you